0: All right. Well, hey, Mountain. It's good to be together. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to start by just saying uh, happy birthday to you. Okay. Do you know it's your birthday? You look a little confused. All right. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them happy birthday. Come on. There are a thousand people in this room. We should be a little louder than that. Say happy birthday. Okay. It's your birthday. It's all of our birthday. We're celebrating 200 years together as a church. All of us here at Mountain Road and at Edgewood and Aberdeen and Abingdon, wherever it is that you're participating online. Let's just start by celebrating this milestone, by welcoming in everyone at all of our campuses. It is our birthday, all right? And as we've thought about 200 years and celebrating it, well, we've started the year by going behind the scenes to see some of the godly principles and values that make mountain, mountain. Okay, we're, we're looking to better understand the foundational principles that for 200 years have led to missional success, where thousands and thousands and thousands of people have come to know the Lord through this church. And we know that those same principles that guided us in the past, well, they're going to lead us in the future because those principles come from, uh, do, do, you know, do you know where they come from? And you, can, you can respond. It's okay. It's a safe place. All right. Do you know where they come from? The, the Bible is close enough. From Jesus. Okay. It's like whenever anyone asks you anything about the church, just say Jesus. You're going to be right 100% of the time. Okay. <laughs> and today, uh, what I want to do is say you need to go back and watch these last few weeks because they're key, they're important, they, they're pivotal to who we are as a church. But for right now, I want to jump into this really important moment in Jesus' ministry that we read about in the Gospels. Okay. And if you want to follow along, you can open your Bible to Mark. Chapter 10, Jesus, at this point, he's been spending his time uh, teaching and healing and prophesying. He's building a reputation, okay? And people, they want to get close to him. He's got this reputation that people are like, you know what, if I can just get close to Jesus, it's going to change something in me. And and he just finishes this really important teaching around divorce. And this teaching, it gives increased value to women and children in an otherwise male-dominated culture and world. And people, they hear what Jesus is saying and they react to it a very particular way. And I want you to, Jesus is teaching on divorce. He's giving value to women and children. And look at what starts to happen, okay? The scriptures tell us that people were bringing their little children to Jesus and, place, and he was placing his hands on them. Like people hear Jesus in this radical teaching, valuing, elevating, making more of women and children. And so their response is to bring their children to him for him to place hands on them. But the disciples look at what they do. Well, the disciples rebuked those people. Like, no, 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 no. So get, get back. Jesus has got important stuff to do. But don't miss what Jesus does here because it's key. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Another uh, translation would say, uh, "But Jesus was irate and let them know." Has anybody ever been irate with you and let you know? I might have happened last night at my house. Okay, it happens sometimes. It does. And Jesus, he's he's frustrated. He's irate. And he goes on and he says this. He says, allow the little children to come to me. Let them come. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child, well, they're never going to enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And we learn something really, really important here about Jesus, about God's heart, and that's that Jesus loves kids. And you may you may read this and find yourself in kind of one of two categories. Uh, Maybe you're scratching your head and just saying, like, what's the big deal? Of course, Jesus loved kids. Like, shouldn't we all love kids? Kids are a special blessing. Are you in that category? Anybody? I hope a few of us. Okay. Or maybe you're in the same category as the crumudgeonly disciples. You're like thinking, dang straight. Those kids, they they are obnoxious. Keep them away from me. What if they sneeze on me? I'm sure Jesus, he's got more important things to do. He's got more important places to be. He doesn't need to waste his time with these kids. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that Jesus is making a statement that he does not want us to miss. So listen up. Context matters here, friends. So let's go back in time for just a moment. The scene. People. People who loved their children, were hearing these radical teachings from Jesus and just trying to get their kids close to him, hoping that he might be able to bless them. And the disciples see this, so they, they step in, and they, they do the very thing that they think Jesus might want them to do. But why, why would they think Jesus wanted that? For them to stop the kids from getting to Jesus? Well, to put it crassly, the, the disciples considered the children to be an annoying distraction from the important work that Jesus needed to do. Jesus needed to focus on who really mattered. And don't miss this. Most, in most ancient cultures, kids were considered a burden until they were physically strong enough to contribute to the family. Okay, many historians, they, they point out the fact that children were second-class citizens in ancient times. Many times, male babies would live while female babies would be killed. Babies born with disabilities would just be discarded. Child abuse was a virtue in the Roman government. Children were property no different than slaves. But we, well, we live in a time and place where even if you're not like really a, a kid person, you realize their value and importance. I mean, I, I love kids. Uh, I, I don't really like babies. I don't want to hold your baby. I loved holding my babies, okay? But I still, I really appreciate and see the value in children, even though I'm not a baby person. They're a beautiful creation of God, a blessing to be nurtured and cared for. And I want every kid to be loved and to have a chance to thrive. But in the context Jesus finds himself, that just simply wasn't the case for culture. Kids, they weren't valued. They weren't seen as cherished or special. And so the disciples, they step in and they like shoo the kids away. They think that's what they're supposed to do. But right then you see the righteous anger of Jesus like start to swell up. You starting to see why this is a big moment in Jesus's ministry? Jesus, he's well known for being counter cultural, going against the current, charting a brand new path that puts love on display and shows the way of Jesus to everybody that it is way different, and they start scratching their heads, kind of confused, because Jesus parts, he he creates such a different path for them to follow. And when the disciples tried to keep the children away, well, Jesus was indignant, angry, irate, and he wanted them to know it. The disciples, they rebuked the kids, and now Jesus, he's bringing the heat. But notice, like, Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples. He doesn't push them away. That's not how Jesus rolls. But he is angry, and you can feel the tension and the frustration. And every time I read about this posture of Jesus, when his righteous anger starts to swell, when he becomes indignant with someone, like, don't you kind of wonder what that must have felt like? Like, are they curious at all? I mean, these guys, the disciples, they, they, they've committed their all to Jesus. They, they've come to know him as Messiah, God in the flesh. And when he gets mad, can you imagine how that must feel? It's, it's got to feel worse than a kid being sent to his room for doing something really, really bad. Or, or it's got to feel way worse than the employee who's reprimanded by his boss, maybe he lost the big account. Like, it's got to be worse than that. I mean, Jesus holds all of the power of the universe in his hands. He can raise the dead, heal the blind. If he sneezes the wrong way, it might kill you. I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible. But he could. He's all-powerful. And in his frustration, in his righteous anger, Jesus is saying to the disciples, get this into your head. The old way that you may have lived that minimized the beauty of these children— That is not the way we're going to live anymore. Not so with me and not so with you. These children, they have purpose and meaning and value. They they are a blessing. And he shows us a new way to live that is full of, of love and compassion and kindness and sacrifice for all people, for the vulnerable, especially for children. And Jesus, in his frustration and tension, you can kind of feel him then. He starts to calm down, and you can imagine him dropping down to his knees and saying, allow the children to come to me. Don't, don't forbid them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these precious little souls. Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom like one of them, they're not going to enter it at all. And so what does he do? The king of the universe takes the humble posture of a servant, gets down on his knee and opens his arms and begins blessing them, welcoming them in and laying hands on them. You see, to Jesus and to this church and to all people who claim to follow Jesus, we don't have a choice. We love kids. Children, they matter to Jesus, and so they should matter to God's people, to this community. And as many scholars point out, Jesus' ministry was a turning point in history for the value and love that was shown to kids, to children. Some call Christianity the single greatest breakthrough in history against child abuse. Through people trying to live out Christ's calling in their lives, Christianity has broken through barriers, and kids are no longer seen as a burden, but as valued in love. Christianity led to the advent of orphanages. Christians often lead the way uh, on foster parenting and adoption. Christianity has been a turning point in history for how kids are to be treated and valued. And so, this church is a church that has said, we are going to take that seriously. We don't believe that these children are a burden or second class citizens, but we see them as beautiful and valued as people may in the very image of God. They aren't a nuisance, and they can make a difference in this world right now and, and, and ongoing. But just like anything in life, it's not enough to just say it. You have to put your money and your time and your investment where your mouth is. And it, it's because of our deep desire to honor God that we've invested heavily in kids around here. Making love and care shown to kids an, an important feature of the ministry of this church. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we've, we've put our treasure there. Can I just share with you maybe some of what God's doing Through Mountain and the way that we've chosen to put our treasure and our heart in a place that loves kids, we'll just think about our Mountain Kids and Mountain Students Ministries. Okay, here's just some stats for you. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and teens gathering together weekly in all of our different programming. Uh, Over, you know, almost 600 difference makers who say, I'm going to show up and serve these kids week in and week out. Families being cared for, all these camps that are packed with kids. But that's not all. You all know about our partner, the Epicenter, who every single week is caring for 100 kids in their before and after school care. Their summer camp cares for another 100 kids. They're reaching 12 schools. They're investing in families and giving them the training that they need. But wait, there's more. This church, because the overwhelming generosity of mountain people, over $400,000 every single year come into this church and then right back out to mission partners whose primary way of showing Jesus' love is to care for kids. Every single one of them. Like the camp that we're going to build in Kenya. It's a lot. But don't forget about child sponsorship. Did you know that there's about 2,500 people that call Mountain Home, that every single week are given $38 a month to an organization like Missions of Hope or Compassion to bless and sponsor children who otherwise can't get ahead. 2,500 kids, $38, a month, about $1.1 million a year that we put into play for Mission to show that we love kids. It's a lot. And I don't share all that to brag about how awesome we are. I share about it to celebrate the unstoppable good that God is doing through Mountain. I share it to show how awesome he is. We want to be like Jesus, taking all of these kids into our arms and blessing them. And the Lord has given us that opportunity. So we just humbly repeat what the psalmist said. It's not us. It's God working through us. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know, you can tell a lot about a group of people by the way that they treat kids. And we as a church, we want to help every young soul come to know and love and follow Jesus. It's a big part of our mission. And for 200 years, well, that's been happening at this church. It takes shape, honestly, in a whole bunch of ways. But well, there may be two key strategies that I want to point out to you today I want to share with you because I think they're important for us, for us as a community. And the first one, well, it's for you uh, parents, guardians, caretakers of these kids. The first thing we want you to know is that, that we want to resource you on the journey of raising your kids to know and love Jesus. Did you get that? We want to resource We don't want to do it for you. I know you guys thought, like the We Love Kids sermon, you're going to tell us all the stuff that you're going to do for kids, you're going to do it for us. No, we're not. All right? You got to have skin in this game, parents. You're an important part of this kid's life, and you got to own it. After all, the Bible doesn't say, hey, just put it on the pastors of your local church in Joppa, Maryland, or Bel Air, or Aberdeen, or Parkville, or Edgewood, wherever it might be. Like, it's not the way we roll. No, Ephesians tells us, fathers and mothers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Anybody ever done that? Listen, I'm my kid's basketball coach. I can frustrate the tar out of him, okay? (laughs) Don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. But instead, take them by the hand and lead them the way of the master. Parents play a crucial, God-ordained role in the discipleship of their children. In the book of Deuteronomy, we, we have a blueprint, a path. Parents, this is for you, so listen up. Here's what it tells us. It says this, Love God, your God, with your whole heart, Love them with all that's in you. Love them with all you've got, right? These commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them when you get up in the morning and when you fall into bed at night. And I know sometimes parents, you just want to fall into bed at night, right? You're so worn out. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city Check this out, parents. I'm talking specifically to you. Your job is twofold. One, to love God with everything you got. Everything. Get Jesus in you. And then second, show it to your kids. Here's some maybe difficult truth for you. See this jar? Well, this jar represents a child's life. In this jar, it's filled with with marbles, 936 marbles to be exact. And each marble, well, it just represents like one week in a kid's life. One week. That's it. See it? One marble, one week. And 936 marbles, they they add up to the first 18 years of your child's existence. When by our standards, they're free to become adults and just kind of leave you in the dust if they want to, okay? And there's certainly more to life than just those first 18 years. There's some space in here for the rest of it. Those first 18 years, they are key, they are pivotal, they are important. And for every week that goes by, that is a week that you cannot get back. Another week, another moment in the past. Another week, another moment gone. Another, that moment, we went way out of here. It was a bad one. That was a bad week. You get out of here. I've got a four-year-old at home, so that would be um, 208 marbles-ish, okay? I also have a 10-year-old and a, and a 13-year-old at home, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to pull out that many marbles because I don't really want to cry in front of you today, Okay. You have 936 weeks to point your child to Jesus until our culture says they don't have to listen to you anymore. And the Bible reminds us of how important, how vital, how much every single breath that we have is a gift that we get to share with our kids. We have an opportunity to take them by the hand and lead them to the master. But to lead them to the master first, you got to know where the master is. And that's why Deuteronomy describes it this way. He gives us the blueprint. First, love God, your God, with your whole heart, love Him with all that is in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your heart. It starts with you and it starts with me. It starts with us. We need to get close to Jesus. Let him permeate all of our life so that others will see it. And few are closer to us than our children. You have 936 weeks to show them the goodness of God. 936 weeks. That's all. It goes by fast. So, as the Bible tells us, take every single opportunity. When you lie down and when you rise. Well, when, when, so when? When do we? Sounds like all the time to me. When you sit down and when you walk. Like when do we tell our kids about God? Like kind of all of the time. Bind them on your hands. Make it to where everybody can see it. Put it on the door frame of your house that so when you come and go you and your kids will see it. You don't want to hear this. I understand parents. But time... ticking away so what kind of investment are you making in your child's life is it just sports is it just academics like those are good things invest there but they're not the most important thing or the ultimate thing are you investing in their spiritual life are you showing them jesus that's your job but don't forget it starts with your own investment with who jesus is to you let me describe it this way okay you're like the sponge. Isn't that flattering? You're welcome. And as a sponge, your life, your job, is just to absorb all of Jesus' love into your life. And when you really do love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that's, it's going to become evident. You'll, you'll be drenched in it. You'll be so immersed in it. And first... Well, that means you're going to realize his love and enter into his presence, into a relationship. And then you're going to start to become like him, absorbing all of his character into your life. And eventually you won't be able to help it. You'll begin to do the very things that Jesus did in this world. And when your kids see that you are walking with Jesus, that you're absorbing all that Jesus has, well, they're going to start to take note too. They'll see the way that you live your life a life lived in step with Christ. It'll be, it'll be felt by them. It'll be known. If you're filled with Christ's likeness, then the result will be that the reflection of your life will be a reflection of Jesus and his character, and that will overflow, and it will drip off of you onto those around you. Your kids will take notice. They will see Jesus in you. Let them see you. Be connected to Jesus. Let them, let them see you pray. Let them see you read your Bible. Let them see you worship God. When they they see that, what they're going to see is that you're connected to the source, that Christ-likeness is just going to drip off of you onto them. Let them see you serve. Let them see you treat people well. Be slow to be angry. Put the needs of others before your own. Care about your body. Admit your mistakes. Be quick to apologize when you're wrong. Let them see you go back to the source that sustains you. But then let them see you forgive those who have wronged you rather than talk badly about them behind their back. Let them see that you actually care about what you watch and what you listen to. Make sure you're staying connected to the source. Prioritize your faith, and you'll be so filled with Christ likeness that it's just going to drip off of you onto them. And all of this, this space in their life, as you show them the way, as you model it, as you demonstrate it, as you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it will start to fill their life with something good. These drips, they're filling the space between the marbles. Can you see it? Like look real close. It's showing them the best way to live. And how will our young people know the character of God unless somebody shows it to them? But there will also be these these little moments where you're given a more significant chance to invest. It won't just be your kid watching and seeing what you do, drips being absorbed. You know, it might be that your kid's in trouble, and guess what? They did something really bad. Anybody feel me? Some of you have been there, and you get to show them why their choice was wrong and how God calls us to do better, not just through through your demonstration, but through actually like pouring into them intentionally, taking advantage of the moment to kind of wring out your Christ likeness onto them, or they have that big question about why the kid at school is so mean, why he's a bully. And yeah, sure you. You can blow off the question. It's a hard one to answer. Or you could talk to them about sin and brokenness and how God calls us to love our enemies. You, you could talk to your kids about what it means to grow up, to mature. Like, did you know you get to have a sex talk with your kid? Yes, you. Congratulations. I know you're all excited to hear that. You get to talk about how sex is a beautiful creation and, and the, you get to talk about the way God meant for it to be used in this world. Because remember, if you're not having the conversation, Somebody else will or they'll read it on the internet. We get to choose what their life is filled with. We get to help them decide what kind of career path they're going to go down and point them back on how to honor God and use the gifts that God has given them to serve this world, uncover those, and use them to bring God's glory and the beauty of his creation into this world. We get to talk to them about why bad things happen in this world and how Jesus calls us to bring goodness and justice to the world. Let your child see you love God. Be so soaked in Christ-likeness that everyone around you can't help but know it because it just kind of drips off of you. But then, take advantage of those special moments where you just get to ring out Christ-likeness into their life. And if we do that, it will transform their life. And the jar... While time continues to slip away, what you leave them with will fill the void with the most important truth of their life, and that is that the love of Jesus is theirs. Time may go, but let Jesus be what's left behind. It starts with you, parents. That's the first thing. You know that we want to resource you as you raise your kids, to know and love Jesus. But there's a second thing that's super important as well, and that's the reality that it takes a village. You don't have to go at it alone. We're here with you. Ben talked last week about the one and others of the Bible. I don't necessarily have time to do a full recap, but here's what I'll say to you. The Bible makes it clear that your faith is not just about you. It's about the community of God. If you try to go with this faith thing solo, you may not make it. And the community and the mission, it will suffer. And so on the journey of raising your kids to know and love Jesus, you have to be primary parents, guardians, but you need to know that we want to partner. We want to partner. And what do I mean by we? I mean I mean us, this church. Like, look at the person next to you. Like, seriously, turn your head. Look at the person next to you. You see them? Did you know they want to partner with you? They didn't know it yet, but they do now. Welcome to the club. We're in this together. We are better together. We are called to pray for one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're also supposed to help disciple one another. And our mountain kids and our mountain students' ministries, they've spent countless hours building out a discipleship pathway to help you raise your kid. Our kids' and students' programming, the events, they're meant to complement your investment. You're not alone. I know sometimes it feels like you're on an island. you're not alone. We're on the journey with you. And what the data shows us is that for every one kid, there needs to be five adults who are spiritually investing in that child to help point them to Jesus. That's where we find success. If we can get five adults for every one child, then that child's life will be changed. Parents, guardians, you are one. And if, if your kid is connected to our, our Mountain Kids or students' programmings, well, I, I can guarantee you there's at least one or two more there who want to invest in your kid. We have hundreds of adults who care about and invest in children around this church, which is great because your child needs more than just you. You have a village. It's a big village, and this village here is impacting lives, coming alongside of parents and helping to fill kids' lives with all the goodness of Christ likeness loving kids showing them the way wringing themselves out into their lives much like my friend joy uh, i was a student pastor here when i when i first moved to maryland 12 years ago and uh, on that journey i got to invite a bunch of people into ministry to serve uh, alongside of our team and one of those was joy and that journey for her she's still on today and it, it impacted not just her life but the life of those kids around you. I want you to hear just a little bit of Joy's story. Check this out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Joy Shaw, and I've been at Mountain for 13 years. I'm from Houston, Texas, um, born and raised, and uh, I grew up in the church. Um, I was in the military. I was in the Air Force. Um, for 10 and a half years. I moved here not knowing anyone except uh, some people that I worked with. I did not have a community here. I I do not have family here. And then I remember driving down um, (laughs) Mountain Road uh, at big church with, you know, the cop that's outside directed traffic. uh, And I was like, you know what? We'll give that a try. I went to the service um, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it was a series or if it was just a sermon, but it was about um, making mountain feel smaller, serving, taking a next step. And so I did, I put my name on the list and then I got a call and and then I started serving in student ministries. It was really basic in the beginnings, but then I'm seeing all this interaction, and I'm seeing you know these connections, and I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to take another next step. So it was months later, and I decided, okay, I am going to do small group leader. You know, when you're serving or when you do any activity for the first time. You come in with your assumptions, your misconceptions, you know, your hopes, your dreams, uh, expectations. Um, And mine were shattered. (laughs) The first night, I was like, what did I get myself into? It just challenged me uh, in so many different ways. It really exposed my insecurities. I just felt like, what do I have to offer these students? I was still in my first year, not really feeling, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, sure of myself uh, if this was the right place to be because that insecurity of being, you know, African-American um, in a predominantly white student ministries was still really strong and prevalent in my life. Then at some point it's just like, well, I'm committed now and I'm and i and kind of enjoying this, you know, I'm, I'm building connections. And then you get that first phone call from a girl, you know, in the middle of a night who's struggling, and you're like, wow, they thought to call me. God could use me, someone who had all the insecurities, who didn't really wanna do this, who was afraid to do this, and he's using me to connect with this student, and she trusts me enough for her stuff. Here I am years later, many years later, you know, and I still keep in contact with some of these ladies. They still, I can still pour into them. I can still meet up with them for lunch or for dinner. It's about serving and about serving these students that we love and that we want to invest in and we want to be a Christ community for. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be perfect. Just start, just say yes um, and let God do the rest.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, joy. Joy is, is making a big difference in the life of some kids, and that continues still today. So parents, I mean, between you and a, a spouse, one of the leaders here, you've got, you've got three or more adults who are ready to invest. People like Joy who say, you know what, we're going to love kids and teens in this church, and we are going to just kind of wring ourselves out for them. But you need more than that takes a village. I don't think a village is made out of three people. It takes more. So who else are you going to invite in? Maybe it is your spouse or a grandparent or a friend. Who can you invite in to care about your kids? Because remember, it doesn't just take three, it takes five. And if we can get five people who really love our kids and who really love Jesus, who are ready to invest in them, it is going to overflow their life with the goodness of Jesus. When this community surrounds your child, the jar it gets more and more full. And God's love is what's left behind. And the kids, they can't help but see it and know it and experience. Time may go, but God's love is what remains. If you were to, to ask my kids, like, who is it that, that loves them, that also loves Jesus a lot? Well, I think they'd be quick to say uh, Miss Joy. It's a different Joy than you saw in the video. Uh, this Miss Joy, she, she loves my family really, really well she got kids of her own. She's got grandkids of her own, yet she still comes over and spends time with my kids so my wife and I can go on a date. And I got to tell you, like when Miss Joy is coming over, my kids get excited, even my 13-year-old. He won't tell you, but he does, okay? And what she does is she just takes the opportunity to, to show them the Christ-likeness. My kids would also, um, they would mention... Not just Miss Joy, but also Jolie Ole. Uh, Jolie Ole is one of our kids pastors, lead kids pastor. He like that's his name, Jolie Oli. He likes it when you call him that. Uh, write that, sermon notes, write that down. Everyone got it? You got it? Jolie Oli, <laughs> Spelled exactly how it sounds, okay? Well, he's also my neighbor, and he's got kids similar in age to mine. And I got to tell you, Joel and Miss Joy, they just, they love my kids. It shows them Jesus. It overflows their life, and it's not just Joel and Miss Joy, uh, Mr. Joel and, and uh, Miss Joy. It's also um, well. Let me tell you this way: Miles, he's my four-year-old, and uh, I was like, "Hey, Miles, we need a new family picture. It's been a while. Who should be in our family picture?" And I was really glad that I made the cut. Okay, he said, first, Mom and Dad." I was like, "Let's go!" And then Isaac and Ella. I was a little surprised Isaac made the cut, uh, and then he's like, "Blue and Hazel, the dogs." But you know who else? Mr. Mark. Mr. Mark lives a few doors down from us. And Mr. Mark, when he shows up, he picks my kid up and he loves him. He goes to this church and he shows my kid the love of Jesus. He pours it out for him. These folks, they're making an impact in my kids' lives that will impact them forever. And though time may go, what remains is the love of Jesus shown to them. And you know what I've learned through, through my years of serving kids and students that in a kid's biggest moment of crisis, they need someone other than mom or dad who can speak good things into their life. Mom and dad, you know that they already know what you're going to say? They know you. And oftentimes they don't want to hear it. They just want to write it off. But when you have others as a part of your village who are reinforcing what you have to say with wisdom that comes from being connected to Jesus, that's when those partners in ministry become most valuable. They're their third space, a neutral party. And you want to surround yourself and your kids with someone who's going to fill them up with Christ-likeness, continuing to live with Jesus and then wring it out into the kid's life, showing them the best way, the way, the truth, and the life, so that when time fades, what remains is Christ-likeness. My wife and I, we couldn't do it on our own. I gotta tell you, we are so grateful to be a part of a church that has the Miss Joys and the Jolie Olies and the Marks, the people who want to love my kids, the people who love Jesus and want to show them that Jesus loves them too. Parents, your primary. Church, everyone else, we're at a close and super important second. And we need to commit to partnership, to prayer to encourage, to help out, to coach, to equip, to love, to guide. That's a responsibility that we need to take seriously, all believers. And Jesus opens our eyes to how important that is, especially in our relationship to kids. So let me ask you, church, question for all of us. Parents, you're off the hook for just a second. Are you partnering? Are you praying for the kids in our community? Are you pouring yourself out to them in some way? Because as we look to be disciples of Jesus, what's clear, that means we're to love kids. So maybe it's time for you to, to mentor a kid, to serve a kid, to serve in our kids' or student ministry, to support a child through child sponsorship, to go on a go trip. Right now, we've got a group of mountain people are serving 300 kids in a predominantly Muslim country right now with a VBS. Maybe you need to commit to praying for the next generation because right now they never come to mind. Maybe you need to serve with kids in your community in some way. Yesterday I was at Emberton Rec all day long with a bunch of people who were serving kids. Maybe that's your place. If you don't know what to do, just ask a kid or student pastor. But be a person who listens to the words of Jesus and finds some way, somehow, to pour yourself out and to love kids so that what remains in their life is this clear understanding that the love of God is available to them. And those little moments, they add up to be a game changer. If we put love on display clearly, and we show the love of Jesus to kids, not only will the kingdom of God grow because everyone wants a place where their kids are loved, but the future of this church and the mission will be bright and overflowing with God's goodness, not just for the last 200 years, but for 200 years more. These kids are at the center. They are the future. Let's invest now and see what they can do. It's almost worth saying it like this. Not that We love kids, but that we get to. And Jesus, he he let the kids get close. He showed them love, and he had compassion, and he blessed them. And if we're going to be a church who lives like Jesus, that means we need to be a church that loves kids. The call is easy. Be like Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good, and, and your goodness, Lord, for those of us who have experienced it and it's overflowed into our lives, and we know like we can't help but model it, to live it, to show it. We want to be more like you. And so, Jesus, my prayer for each and every single one of us is that we would come to realize like we have a part to play in loving kids in this community. God, it, it could be as simple as being a person who is prayerful. And in that prayer, it's, it, it's not simple. It's profound and it changes lives. Or God, maybe it's stepping up to mentor a kid, to take a kid under our wing. Or when a parent invites us in to, to, to share in raising their child that we say yes to it. Or maybe it's emboldening parents for the first time to live out the love of God and their lives in a way that their kids can't help but see it. God, you are calling each of us into your presence. And we know if we're gonna be in your presence, when you got down on your knees and you opened your arms, And he loved kids well. So God, help us just to be like you. The one in whose name we pray. Amen.